It is uh, so good to have everyone with us today on this special day, and uh, so I want to welcome everybody in the room with us today, as well as everybody who's online with us. If you're in the room with me right now, will you welcome our online community? Good to have you with us today. And uh, it is always exciting to be able to uh, honor our grads and celebrate them, as, uh, as the guys already mentioned, so uh, big a part of our mission as a church is to uh, raise up that next generation, and uh, this represents a, a lot of uh, work, a lot of investment in these students, and so we're proud of y'all, and I look forward to what God's going to continue to do through you, all right? As they, as they head out on the beginning stages of really their life beyond here, uh, at the same time, we like to celebrate those who've uh, uh, gone the distance and really set an example for us, left a legacy for us, and uh, one of those couples is uh, John and Gladys Reeves. My ask John and Gladys to stand up right down here. And uh, if you don't know John and Gladys, they've been here for a while. And uh, yesterday, they just celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so... That's what you got to shoot for right there, all right? So, uh, no, we, uh, we're super excited for you all, and I think Gladys now qualifies for sainthood, right? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so no, that's, that's pretty awesome, and i uh, love to celebrate. <laughs> and they ain't done yet. There we go. <laughs> love it, John. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, also, just want to uh, make sure, uh, this is more of a prayer uh, request, kind of a moment. Uh, this week, our daughter Brooke, as along with uh, Zach Hunter, they're going to be heading out uh, for a summer mission in uh, Kenya, Africa. So be praying for them. And, uh, and then also this week, we've got a team heading to uh, Kentucky on an Appalachian uh, missions trip because we hear Kentucky needs Jesus. And uh, so, so we're... <laughs> We're sending them over there, so uh, be praying for all of them, uh, both the, that team and, and those uh, students as they head out from here. We're excited what God's going to do through them, all right? Well, last week, we launched into a new series called Christian-ish, and Chad uh, started us off by uh, really setting the, the, the ground game here and, and really gave us a definition, all right? So if we, if we were going to define this idea of Christian-ish, it is following Jesus when it's convenient rather than following Jesus out of conviction, and probably every one of us as followers of Jesus have fallen into this trap before. We've been there. We've been ish with our faith. And if we put a definition to that little ish suffix, it's that it, it means kind of, sort of, or somewhat like. We're just kind of Christian, sort of Christian in our uh, dealings with others or, or how we just live out our life, live out this existence. And, and we know that God's called us to so much more than that. Now, whenever I thought about this whole idea of ish, I thought about my life and thought, you know what, there's probably some other areas, and there's no probably about it, there are other areas in my life where I'm a little ishy, all right? Uh, I'm, I'm farmish, I'm a farmer-ish, all right? I, you know me, you, if you've heard my story, you know I grew up on a farm, and I grew up, you know, working on the cows and doing all, hauling the hay and doing all that. I still love to work outdoors, but, but I'm not a farmer, all right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have cows, don't, I don't know that I could do that anymore, and uh, so I'm just kind of farmer-ish. I, I like to brag about it, I like to wear the Wranglers and the boots, you know, and act like it sometimes. 
jobs, all right? Um, but I'm just kind of farmerish. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm mechanicish, right? Um, might call that a shade tree mechanic. Uh, I, I work on cars out of necessity because I can't afford mechanics. And so, you know, I fixed my cars, my kids' cars, other people's cars at times. Uh, but I'm just, I'm mechanicish. No shop would, would hire me, all right? Nobody would put me uh, under a lift and working on cars for, for money. I'm woodworkerish, all right? Carpenter-ish, if you want to say that. I love working on wood. I love building things, right? But if you looked at any of my creations... You see the gaps and you see the imperfections. I am far from a uh, master woodworker at all. I'm just kind of woodworker-ish. I dabble in it. Maybe you can think of some ways that you're ishy in this world, but I'm afraid at times I'm, I'm pretty ish in my faith too. Times when my when my words aren't like Jesus, when my attitude isn't like Jesus, when my actions and my reactions aren't like Jesus, and I'm just kind of ish with my faith, just kind of Christian-ish. Can you relate to me? First Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be at today. That's where we started off last week. And Peter is writing to followers of Jesus uh, who are really suffering under the Roman emperor Nero. Chad talked about that a little bit last week and some of the horrific things that Nero was doing to believers and, and really going against them and striving to turn the entire city of Rome against them. And so they had a, a very challenging uh, culture existence that they were trying to live out their faith. And, and so it's no wonder that they, that they would be tempted to be pretty ish in their, in their faith or even to leave their faith all together. And so the believers there, they needed encouragement, but they also needed some direction. How are we to live in such a time? And again, last week we, we talked about the beginning of this letter where, where Peter writes to them and he encourages them, encourages them and reminds them with their hope, the living hope that they have and that we have in Jesus. That, hey, hold on to that hope. Don't lose sight of the hope in spite of everything that you're facing. But as you continue to go in, into the text, starting in verse 13, Peter now shifts gears a little bit to begin to give them some instructions and, and to begin to give them the direction on how they're to live and reminds them of the calling that they have on their life. That calling that doesn't go away in spite of the circumstances, the calling on every one of us as believers. And so we're going to start in verse 13 in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to just walk through this text. And it begins by saying, therefore... Now, anytime you're studying God's word and you come across a therefore, you always ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore, right? Because it's speaking about what just got through, what the writer just got through talking about, which was our hope. We have a living hope in Jesus. So therefore, because we have such a great hope, preparing our minds for action, okay? Literally, gird up your loins for action. In our day and age, it's it's roll up your sleeves, get ready for work, all right? It's time to take action. And being sober-minded, okay? Now, mind is a big thing. He starts with the mind. Prepare your minds for action. Now, being sober-minded, which sober-minded is being self-controlled. It's removing anything that would get in between you and the calling that Jesus has put on you. Set your hope 
fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have a living hope. He's just talked about the living hope, but don't allow that hope to shift off of Jesus and his coming again. One day he's coming again. He's, he, he's coming in power, and that's our hope, and we hold on to that. And he says, set your, set your hope there, all right? It's like being founded. Set your feet. You're not movable because you have such a wonderful hope in front of us. But then he goes on, as obedient children. Now, he's already used some um, father language in our relationship with our father in heaven. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of, of your former ignorance. That, that time when you didn't know hope, don't go back to that way, he says. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There's the reminder. You've got a wonderful hope. Hold on to that hope. Get ready to take action because you're called to a life of holiness. Now, holiness is a word that we don't use a whole lot today, right? Matter of fact, I think in the church today, we've overcomplicated what the whole idea of holiness is, right? It, it, it seems more com complicated than it really is. And sometimes we've even reserved it for a whole different category of Christian, right? They're like, they're the, the saints. They're the holy people, right? I'm just this regular everyday Christian, you know? But God's word is clear and God is clear that every one of us as, as followers of Jesus, we're called to holiness, to holy living. So let's talk about that word holiness real quick here and define it. Holy, the Greek word is hagios. Now you're a lot smarter because of that. Um, it means this, different and unlike. It implies something is set apart. Okay, the most, the most basic of definitions is this word. It just means you're different. And when it comes to, as a follower of Jesus being different, it's a positive different. It's in a good way different, right, from the world around us. And so we're supposed to live this different kind of life, living out our life by the nature or like the nature of Jesus himself. We're to be like Jesus. And so, so if we were going to put a very simple definition on this, it would just simply be we are to be different from the world around us. We're supposed to stand out. We're, we're not supposed to act like everybody else. And so the to, to accomplish that, God has done a great work in us, and he continues to do a great work in us. And we can go over to Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse 14. There it says this, the writer of Hebrews says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect, okay, present tense, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. All right, this can be a little confusing. Okay, so I'm, I'm already perfect because of Jesus, but at the same time, I'm being made Holy, all right? There's several times in Scripture where we find this already but not yet um, dichotomy. You know, it's just, this, yes, we're fully saved and we're fully experiencing the blessing of God, but not yet fully experiencing the blessing of God because we're not going to really experience it until we get to heaven, right? It's a, yes, it's already here. We've already got it, but not yet, all right? We're going to get there. Yes, we are fully saved because of the sacrifice of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. He paid the price. Our sin is gone. We can live in victory in this world. But God is still working on us to make us holy. We still have a responsibility to press on and strive for 
holiness. Now, there's two terms I think we need to wrap our heads around a little bit here just to kind of understand this a little bit more. And these are really churchy words. I usually I try, try to stay away from words like this, but because I'm just not that smart. But anyway, um, justification. You've heard that word. It's thrown around in our culture today. Justification. It's a legal term. And it gives, as a believer, receiving justification means this, that Jesus paid the price so that we can be declared righteous and holy. We are justified. Our sin is wiped away. Our guilt is removed. We're all, as followers of Jesus, those who have placed our faith in Jesus, began to walk a new life in him, baptizing him. We're justified in him. Second word is this, sanctification. Medical term. Meaning that God, through the Holy Spirit, is working in us to bring healing to us, to, to restore us to, to holiness that he desires for us. One definition I ran across I really liked is this. Sanctification is the cooperative work of God and Christians by which ongoing transformation into greater Christ-likeness occurs. Means every day God is still working on us and in us. And we are partnering with God to become more holy, to become more like Jesus. That's why Peter begins by saying, roll up your sleeves, get ready. It's going to take some work, right? And if you're a believer in Christ and have been for a while at all, you know that living out the Christian life and striving to live up to, to what God desires for us, it takes work. Takes effort on our part. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, Pursuit of Holiness speaks to this when he says this, the pursuit of holiness is a joint venture between God and the Christian. No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life. But just as surely no one will attain it without effort on his own part. God's word's clear. We have responsibility. God wants to do a great work in us. He gives us his Holy Spirit within us to, to move and work and grow in us and grow us to become more like him. The, the fruit of the Spirit might come out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things would become evident. God would become evident in us. But we've got to work at it, don't we? We've got a responsibility. And that's what Peter is reminding these Christians in this very difficult time and culture that they are in. He reminds them, be holy. Be holy. I know the temptation is when the city turns against you, when the very emperor himself turns against you, is to, is to throw up arms and to, to be angry and to fight back. He says, no, be holy. Be holy. I know that this is a time where you want to sulk and you want to mope and you want to be sad and, and you, want to, you want to just go hide in a corner or run away or even end it all. But don't. Just be holy is what he's calling them to. And so as we walk through the rest of the text, he, he gives them reasons. Here's why that you should be holy. And we've already touched on some of it there in verses 15 and 16. It begins by, he begins by giving this reason. Be holy because our God is holy. He is holy himself. And this one can be a little bit hard to wrap our minds around as well as we think about the holiness of God. But, but 
Peter, let's go back to verse 15 and 16, and Peter speaks to it here as he's quoting some other, uh, from other uh, Old Testament texts, but he says this, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That little phrase that he uses there, in all you do, literally is as you, in, this, in, your, in your way of life, in your way of life, as you do life, as you walk through life, be holy in all that you do, in the way you live your life, be holy. Peter loves this phrase. Matter of fact, in his two letters, uh, he uses that phrase seven times. It's only used five times in the rest of the whole New Testament. He likes this idea of examining our whole way of life, how we act, how we operate in this world. He says, be holy in your way of life, how you do life. For it is written, there's a quote, be holy because I am holy. God speaking, be holy because I, your Father in heaven, the one who brought you salvation, made a way for you, I'm holy, be like me. Again, he's used some father-child illustration earlier in this, and here he does again. We are to be like him. We are to strive to be holy, which is really the opposite of following our own evil desires. We're to, we're to be different from this world. We're to stand out in this world. We're to be holy in all we do in the way we live our life. Why? Because our God is holy. Now, what does that mean? Go back to that definition of holy. It's to be set apart. That means our God is set apart. What, mean, what does that mean? He's different. Our God is different. Our God is different from all the other gods. Read an uh, uh, article this week. Uh, it was an atheist who had become a believer, and, and somebody asked him the question or actually made the statement to him and said, well, your God is imaginary just like all the, rest, all the other gods. He's oh, no, let me tell you about my God, because he's different. And he just gave a list of all the different ways, all the ways that our God is different. He's eternal. He's before all things, the creator of all things. And our God, no other God could claim that. Our God is a God that desires relationship. He desires to walk with us and talk with us and, and, and be in relationship with us in this life. No other God claims that. And there's so many other ways that our God is different if we had the time. But I want to strive for, we ought to want to strive for holiness because our Father in heaven has set the example for us in holiness. Now, as we continue to go through the text, each of the rest of these are descriptions of our God. All right, he's, he's backing up more of what, uh, why we ought to be like our holy God and the ways that he is holy. And so the next one is this, we, we are to be holy in the light of Jesus' sacrifice, which the fact that he sent his son Jesus speaks to the fact that, actually I skipped ahead, <laughs> we're to be holy in light of God's judgment. <laughs> and God, in, as he is, is alone as the judge, no other God can claim that. Look at verse 17 with me. It says this, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Judgment, the judgment of God. Again, that's something we don't like to really talk about as believers, but we have a God that's going to sit on the throne of judgment. And Peter here says, we need to think about that. And we need to have reverent fear about him and Live out our holiness because of that in reverent fear of understanding our God, the judge who judges, his judgment is real and his judgment is right. Third thing that he mentions is to be holy in light of Jesus' sacrifice in verses 18 and following. 
God is, is holy in that he would stop at nothing, all right? He's different in that he would stop at nothing, even sending his own son to this earth to die for us. No other God is willing to do that. No other God was willing to suffer himself for us. Look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. That empty way of life. There's that phrase, way of life. Remember that former way of life? That's not where you're at now because of Jesus. Look at verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, that's, that's how you were saved. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. I want to strive for holiness and living a holy life because Jesus paid the price for me on the cross. He died for me. I want to live for him. Peter goes on, gives the reason that we're to be holy in light of the truth of God's word in verses 22 and following. God is holy, again, different, set apart from any other God out there because He desires to be in communication with us. He has given us his very word that we can read and we can learn from him and learn of him. We've got his word that we can build our life upon. Peter speaks to that again, starting in verse 22, when he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. He says it again, talking about God's word. For all people are like grass and all glory uh, is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So this is the gospel. You received it. It was passed down to you and That's what we stand upon. That's what we live by. And because he's given us his holy word and he desires to to communicate with us, I want to walk in holiness with him because his word is proven time and time again, whether it be in our own lives, whether it be in this world, whether it be by archaeological digs that continue to dig up things that prove God's word trustworthy over and over again. We have God's word, holy word, to build our lives on. And the last thing that he challenges or gives us a reason to live our holiness is to be holy, to point people to Jesus. As we skip over to chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, again, our God stops at nothing to draw people into a relationship with him. He even came and walked among us in Jesus. And in verse 11 and 12, Peter says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Instead, live such good lives among the pagans, the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on that day, on the day he visits I want to be holy because I want to point people to Jesus. And Peter here, he says, hey, you live out such a life that the unbelievers around you 
even though they mock you, even though they look down on you, in the end, when Jesus comes again, they will bring glory to God. Why? Because some of them you will bring to faith. Some of them will see your example and want what you've got. And so some of them, when that day comes, will be able to point back to that time when they interacted with you and they saw your different life, holy life, and said, I want that. And they give their life to Jesus and then on that day when Christ comes again, they rejoice. I want to live this holy, different life because I want to make a difference in this world. And I want to follow my God's example, his holy example of stopping at nothing to reach this world. If I could put, take this whole sermon, just put it in a sentence, it would just simply be this. Followers of Jesus are to be different from the world in order to make a difference in the world. Or to be different. Not to be just like everybody else. What kind of difference are you making in this world? My kids have grown up in Owasso and gone away. <laughs> they keep coming back. Anyway. <clears throat> but, uh, of course, growing up in Owasso, they worked in Owasso. And uh, I remember one particular day, my, one of my girls came home, and she asked me the question. She said, uh, Dad, does so-and-so go to, go to First Church? I said, yeah. Huh. I thought so. She said, yeah, uh, his order wasn't ready, and he got so mad, and he cussed me out. She said, uh, I don't think she knew you were my dad. <laughs> I said, I think you're probably right. <laughs> Do people know who your dad is? Your heavenly father? <laughs> Do people know who your heavenly father is? Do they see the way you act? Do they see that you're different? And they think, hmm. I want to be like that. I want to know. I want to know this kind of a God who loves me. It's a sad indictment on the church that the most uh, undisputed worst time to be a restaurant worker is on Sundays after church, <laughs> right? Because it's when the grumpiest people, I'm getting head nods down here, the grumpiest people and the lowest, the lowest tippers, right? And I've heard that for years and it hasn't changed. Church, we're to be different. We're to, to allow the love of God to flow through us, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation. We're to be different. We're to be holy. We're to point people to Jesus. Let's not stop at that. Twice in Scripture, uh, we get a glimpse into heaven. And when we get this uh, glimpse into heaven uh, at these two times, we, we hear this refrain, holy, holy, holy. The angels are crying out as they're praising our Father in heaven and giving him the glory that he deserves. 
Reginald Heber was the man's name that wrote that. Church leader back in the early 1700s, and um, he ended his leadership time as the Bishop of Calcutta. And you've probably heard of Calcutta from Mother Teresa who served there, and, and, uh, but he had a great impact there. Reginald, he wrote a lot of hymns, and this, uh, this one, Holy, 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 that many of you are familiar with, he wrote because he wanted people to understand the, the triune God, the Trinity. Again, speaks to the holiness of God. And he wanted to use that refrain, holy, holy, holy. It wasn't until after he died, and he died an early death, death, 43 years old, preached a sermon there in Calcutta. It was a hot day, uh, goes back to his uh, apartment and dies, I think, heat stroke. And, uh, and it was after that, not long after that, that his widow began to publish his hymns. And, and that's when people found, somebody found this hymn, and it's become famous. And it's still sang today in churches all around the world. So I've asked Tim and Gracie to come. We're going to together sing this song and lift it up to God, our holy God. And may it be a reminder to us not only of the holiness of God, but the holiness that we are called to. All right? Why don't you stand with us? Let's sing this together. God Almighty. May we, as followers of Jesus, strive for holiness in our lives. Father in heaven, that is our prayer. 
God, we're thankful for these glimpses into heaven where we can see the angels crying out to you, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And God, may our lives cry out to the world around us, the watching world around us, holy, holy, holy is our God and our Father and our Savior. God, help us. Lead us. Empower us as we walk through this life, through all of its challenges and all of its changes and all the transitions that come our way, new beginnings that we, we come across. God, in everything we face in this life, God, help us to examine ourselves and help us to walk in holiness, to be different, to point people to you. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.